You're listening to ReachMD XM157 and conference coverage of the 2008 Digestive Disease Week, which is brought to you in partnership with Elsevier, building insights and breaking boundaries. Your host is Dr. Mark Kina and Sue Berg, along with Elsevier medical reporters Bob Finn, Heidi Spleet, and Alicia Alt. You'll hear highlights from the latest research presented at the 2008 DDW, which took place May 17th through the 22nd in San Diego, California. Now for our DDW highlights, let's join Dr. Mark Kina. A number of exciting research areas were discussed at Digestive Disease Week. Pancreatic cancer was one area of particular interest. The disease is usually diagnosed at a late stage and almost all patients have a poor prognosis. Dr. Richard Zubarek is a gastroenterologist from the University of Vermont. He presented data on a new screening protocol that could catch pancreatic cancer early. The screen uses a combination of the CA-19-9 blood test and endoscopic ultrasound. Dr. Zubarek used the tool to detect two early pancreatic cancers among almost 300 healthy people with a family history of the disease. Dr. Zubarek spoke about his findings with ReachMD's Bob Finn. So the first person, the patient with the pancreas adenocarcinoma, I had just detected cancer in his mother that was unresectable. And his CA-99 level was very elevated at 339. And I did an endoscopic ultrasound, and he had about a two-centimeter mass in the body of his pancreas, which then got resected at surgery. And it was a stage one cancer and confined to the pancreas and he's doing well as of now and we're about a year out and he has no recurrence. Dr. Zuberic says there's still a lot of work to do before this screen can be adopted widely. We clearly need more patients to see how frequently we're going to detect this disease. Secondly, we don't know whether detecting cancer as part of this protocol can save lives. It really is not very good at detecting precancerous lesions. Secondly, with very, very small tumors, its ability to detect the tumors drops off. Therefore, there's a need to improve on the serum tumor marker. Also, CA-199 is not very good at detecting small or precancerous lesions. Many research groups are looking for better markers for pancreatic cancer. Even so, most patients diagnosed and treated with stage 1 disease will die within five years. To refer individuals to Dr. Zuberic's ongoing research, call 802-847-5037. That's 802-847-5037. Other research on pancreatic cancer found that endoscopic ultrasound can identify early-stage pancreatic cancer and improve survival in high-risk patients. The technology can uncover lesions that can't be seen with computed tomography. Dr. Teresa Brentnall of the University of Washington, Seattle, presented these findings at Digestive Disease Week. Dr. Brentnall helped develop a screening protocol for individuals whose family history puts them at high risk for the disease. Her team performed examinations using endoscopic ultrasound each year for 10 years. Almost half of the 100 people in the study had normal endoscopic ultrasound findings at the start. Ten of them developed abnormal ultrasounds during the study. Twenty individuals had an abnormal endoscopic ultrasound and an abnormal endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. This test shows abnormalities in the side branches of the pancreas. These patients also had biopsies taken. 
all of them had carcinoma in situ and opted for pancreatectomy. Dr. Brentnall says that none of them developed cancer during the 10-year follow-up period. Endoscopic ultrasound can also improve the health of pancreatic cancer patients. Another presentation at Digestive Disease Week showed that patients who received the screen at diagnosis lived for nine months compared with five months for patients who didn't receive the screen. Dr. Ananya Das of the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona, conducted the study. Dr. Das and his colleagues reviewed records from more than 4,000 adults with pancreatic cancer listed in the CIRA Medicare database who were diagnosed and treated between 1994 and 2002. In addition to living longer, patients who received an endoscopic ultrasound at diagnosis were more likely to have surgery and radiation treatment. Probiotics were touted at the conference as a way to ease digestive problems after gastric bypass surgery. About 5% of patients experience bloating, diarrhea, nausea, and changes in bowel habits after gastric bypass. Bacterial overgrowth in the intestine is the culprit. A randomized controlled trial looked at 42 patients who underwent Roux-en-Y gastric bypass. The investigators found that an inexpensive, over-the-counter probiotic significantly reduces bacterial overgrowth. Patients took the probiotic daily for six months. The researchers think the probiotic pills replace the bad bacteria with a beneficial bacterial species. The probiotic also lowered patients' fasting insulin, lipoprotein A, and triglycerides. Dr. John Morton is a surgeon at Stanford University and one of the study's investigators. He spoke about his findings with ReachMD's Bob Finn. I think when you come across a patient who has some abdominal symptoms, this can be a useful adjunct. It's safe, it's relatively cheap, and at least in our study we found some efficacy. The probiotic used in the study was called Pilgrim's Pride Probiotic Acidophilus Capsules. It contains Lactobacillus acidophilus, Lactobacillus bifidus, and Lactobacillus rhamnosus. The things to look for if you're trying to choose a probiotic, live cells in at least 2 billion colonies. And then the type of bacteria. Lactobacillus is the one that's been most commonly used and most easily tolerated, and that's why it's kind of the default probiotic, if you will, the one that most people prescribe. Dr. Morton says he doesn't endorse Pilgrim's Pride capsules. None of the investigators had any ties to the probiotics manufacturer. Dr. Morton likes to think of the probiotic treatment as a bacterial transplant. There's two theories of thoughts in approaching overgrowth or changes in bacterial composition. You can either kill it with the antibiotic, or you can try to promote better health through the probiotic. And I'm starting to go more around to giving the probiotic first. Dr. Morton says the research is preliminary. In the future, it may be possible to prescribe a more specific probiotic recipe tailored to each individual patient's intestinal flora. Two studies presented at Digestive Disease Week indicate that confocal laser endoscopy is both accurate and safe. The study suggests it may be possible to skip a step in the diagnosis and treatment of Barrett's esophagus. Confocal laser endoscopy uses an endoscope equipped with a microscope that magnifies cells close to the surface of the gastrointestinal tract. Adding an intravenous contrast agent allows endoscopists to visualize any cancer growth. In one study, investigators retrospectively combined the results of more than 2,000 confocal laser endoscopy examinations on patients. They found that the technique was 91% accurate. The technique also changed the initial diagnosis in 32% of upper GI examinations and 22% of lower GI examinations. 
The other study was a prospective controlled crossover trial. 36 patients underwent both confocal laser endoscopy and standard endoscopy to identify areas of dysplasia in Barrett's esophagus. The two techniques uncovered about the same number of sites in high-grade dysplasia, but confocal laser endoscopy required 60% fewer mucosal biopsies to do so. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs were also discussed at the conference. A meta-analysis found that a single dose of NSAIDs given rectally decreases the risk of a common complication of endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. Endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography procedures are done to diagnose and sometimes treat disease in the bile and pancreatic ducts. Unfortunately, the procedure can cause pancreatitis in up to 2% of low-risk patients and in up to 40% of high-risk patients. The meta-analysis included four randomized controlled studies and more than 900 patients. Patients were given 100 milligrams of rectal diclofenac, 100 milligrams of rectal indomethacin, or placebo just before or after endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. Treatment with an NSAID caused a 64% reduction in total pancreatitis and a 90% reduction in moderate to severe pancreatitis. The researchers say the study is not strong enough to warrant widespread clinical changes. Additional research is needed. Two studies indicate that gastroenterologists can safely and effectively administer propofol sedation during colonoscopy and endoscopy procedures. These findings might help eliminate the need for an attending anesthesiologist during these procedures. Several insurance companies have eliminated coverage for an attending anesthesiologist during colonoscopy. The first study reviewed more than 450,000 procedures performed worldwide with propofol but without an anesthesiologist. There were four endotracheal intubations, one neurologic injury, and three deaths. The fatalities included a man with metastatic pancreatic cancer, a handicapped man with mental retardation, and a man with a history of substance abuse. The authors say the study shows that propofol is superior to gastroenterologist-administered opioids and benzodiazepines. It's also at least as good as general anesthesia administered by anesthesiologists. A second study presented data on an automated computer-assisted sedation advice called the Sedasis system. Approximately 1,000 patients were enrolled. Half received propofol sedation with the Sedasis, and the other half received the standard care of midazolam plus fentanyl or mepiridine. The patients underwent either a colonoscopy or an esophagastroduodenoscopy. The sedasis system was found to be safer than the standard sedation, and patients using the system had a shorter recovery time. You've been listening to highlights from the 2008 Digestive Disease Week held in San Diego, California. I'm Dr. Mark Kina, and with Sue Berg, we thank medical reporters Bob Finn, Heidi Spleet, and Alicia Alt, and we thank you for listening. To learn more about the DDW 2008, visit ddw.org. For additional conference coverage information, visit us at ReachMD.com. ReachMD and Elsevier are independent news organizations and are not affiliated with the 2008 San Diego Digestive Disease Week. This activity is not sanctioned by the DDW and does not constitute an official part of the 2008 DDW. Some of the material discussed today may concern uses that have not been approved by the Food and Drug Administration. Discussion of off-label drug use is intended solely for scientific exchange and is not intended to be promotional. 
ReachMD XM 157 strives to present all information objectively and independently. 